JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Meantime, Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline getting ready to head out to Honolulu, Hawaii for the Maui Invitational. We welcome back to the show, friend of the show, the head coach of the Boilermakers, Matt Painter. Matt, thanks for the time. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me on. What do we know about this 3-0 squad? And I guess most recently, what did we find out with that Monday night encounter at home against Xavier? Yeah, I thought, um, obviously, they Sean does a great job and they only have one guy playing for him that that played for him last year. They have a couple guys, they're four and they're five that are out. He's added some really good pieces, and um, you know I thought from their standpoint, I you know they made three they made three shots at the end of shot clocks, three threes, one bank in kind of way too, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of then kind of it, it kept them in the game. We never really could get that separation, and then those were three pretty big plays and. Um, but I thought we did a good job. You know, I, after watching the tape, I didn't think we were – I thought we were better defensively after the game than we actually were. I think we got a lot of room to make strides there. And we had some shots, but we had some some um, some ones early that we – you know, we got caught up in the crowd and, and took, you know, shots that were tough when we didn't have to. So we, we just got to be, I think, a little bit more patient sometimes – especially early in the clock. I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of shooting early threes, but not early contested threes. Yeah. Um, you know, you just got to probe the defense. You got to get the ball to the paint in some capacity. And uh, when you're doing that, you're really playing into other people's hands. So, but just normal beginning of the year type things to where you're just not quite polished on, on both ends of the court. And you're trying to get better, but that holds true for everybody. And so it's not something where it's a Purdue issue. It's just a college basketball issue starting the season. And you don't want to miss any steps as a coach. Like you want it from a process base. Um, you know, you start all over. And you, you have to be fundamentally sound. You have to be able to play to your strengths. And then more than anything, we have a lot of experience. you got to know what you're doing. Like we have to be able to use our experience as an advantage because we're all on the same page. There's a lot of things that go on basketball because basketball is not that hard of a game to understand. Um, but you have to be on the same page. So it's not one of those conflicted things. Well, we should do this or we should do that. Okay, here's what we're doing. And everybody has to be able to buy into that and understand that you get some gray area in basketball, whether you're reading situations or, or doing things where, you know, you know, it, instinctually you got to be able to make a play. Then there's other areas where you got to do what you're supposed to. If you're supposed to stay tight in the ball screen, stay tight in the ball screen. You're supposed to have four high hands up on a post double, have four high hands up. When you get off that grid or you get away from those things, that's where we have problems. And that's where players will say, well, coach, what, what should I do here? 
And I always go, well, I don't have a really good solution for you after you do what you're not supposed to do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, what do we do here? Do we put bad on top of bad or we put good on top of bad? Well, you started with bad. And so, and and that is something you'll hear coaches talk about a lot. Well, we, we, we're getting disconnected, especially defensively, but it's on both ends of the court. You know, you stay connected when you do what you're supposed to do. And it's not that, you you know, you can't read things or take advantage of things or see something as a player because you can. But when it's not there, you got to stay connected. And when you do that, you don't surprise your teammates. Everybody understands things. And that's how you grow as, as a team. When you see team that kind of exceed maybe their individual parts and collectively are better, that's why they're better. They're better because they're not – having any of that dissension they don't have people that get off that grid they don't have people that you know just are absent-minded and don't pay attention to scouting reports when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing that's how you grow and you become an elite team and that's what we're striving to do we're not there yet i don't think anybody's there yet especially after watching the games last night um because you see really really talented especially really talented young guys that can just do some unbelievable things, but then you can tell they're fragmented a little bit just because the discipline and the experience isn't quite there. So Matt Painter, the Boilermakers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I want to get back to the the early clock threes. I, I would have to think in this era of basketball in which we're in, and you and I are nearly the same age, so we, we did grow up in a different era, uh, and there, mm-hmm. there's been significant changes. How, how difficult is it to even coach up your own to describe to them what an early clock bad three is considering we live in a world with mostly early clock bad threes at times (laughs) there there you go you know you just watch you know a lot of it's situational you want to have that sprint work to where you're the step in three is the highest percentage three and that's what your transition is those kick ahead threes or just step in threes especially when you go inside out in the post like that's what you want you can get it a lot of different ways like you can get a penetration pass those are the ones that when you're open and you gotta shoot them because those are high percentage ones you're in rhythm it's not contested um so that's what we're really trying to do we're trying to push that basketball kick it ahead even if you get to a deep dribble now you can get that trail three which is a high percentage three we've played through the post and we play through ball screens so you can get them a lot of different ways but um when you take the 30 footer and you're contested and it just, you know, it kind of kills you, uh, to be frank with you, because now that guy's contested. You're more or less waving a flag like no one else out there can shoot the basketball or play or give us an efficient um, possession on offense, which isn't true. So, but if you're taking those and and they're good ones and they're on the arc and they're high percentage, they're also high percentage rebound situations too. So you got to look at the flip of things when the ball doesn't go in. And a lot of people don't do that. And a lot of people speak without having analytics yes. next to them, which is, you know, it's not borderline dangerous. It's dangerous yeah. um, because you got to be able to encourage people that are good shooters when they, they're going through a slump or they're not, you know, making them that you do believe in them because they have made them before and it makes sense for them and water is going to find its level. Like if they've missed and they've had three games and there's someone you've recruited and someone you have watched and you believe that they're a good shooter, you, you, you got to have that confidence. You know, people are very knee jerk in today's society. Like, well, he stinks and he can't shoot. And no, that's not the case. He doesn't stink and he can shoot. And the greatest go through slumps. And now you got to be positive with him. But what you have to do is 
look at, don't just take somebody's percentage. So this has been something that gets lost. So you say, okay, he shoots 40% from three. Well, he should be able to shoot those. Well, okay, if he shoots dribble up threes from 30 feet, what's his percentage? I don't want the whole of his percentage. I want the dribble up 30 footer. What's that percentage? Well, that percentage is 20. And, you know, and it's not a high volume of them, but it's enough to where he's shooting 40 percent. Well, what if he just didn't take those or he took more of the good ones? Right. Right, right. Because you shouldn't be passing on the good ones. So that's what gets. okay. you have a three point percentage. Okay, what's your percentage on step in threes when the ball is getting passed out of the post? Right. What's your percentage of your dribble up in transition? What's your percentage of coming off? Uh, single singles on the baseline, what, whatever it might be. There can be three categories. There can be seven categories there. Now find out what is the ones that he's making the most, and let's try to get more of those, and then let's put the other ones in the attic next to the baseball cards and not shoot them anymore. And so sometimes people look at that like, ah, you're taking something away. Like, no, I'm making you more efficient. I'm not telling you not to shoot. I'm telling you to take more of the ones that you make and take less of the ones or eliminate the ones that are low percentage. Because what what kids will do to you, and they do it at all levels to coaches, is they shoot a pretty good percentage. And then they'll make one. They'll make one of those tough ones. And they'll look at you like you're crazy. And the whole thing is, I never said you were 0% on you know <laughs> yes. pull-up 30-footers. You're 20% which doesn't make sense to keep shooting them. And so they will take outlier type data and try to like equate that to making, you know, cause this isn't about you taking a shot. This is about you taking a shot that makes, that makes a whole lot of sense for our team to win a game. <laughs> That's yeah. what it gets to yeah. like, like, you know, be able to see past your own nose. And those are the type of things, those hard discussions you got to have with guys, but also keep their spirit about them and keep their confidence. And so it, it's uh, something that's very important as a coach to, uh, to be clear when you're speaking because you don't want that ripped away from them. You want them to feel good about themselves, but you also want them to take the best shot for Purdue, not necessarily the best shot for them. Now, Matt Painter is with us, too. You mentioned playing through the post, and you get a lot of kickouts from Zach, and, and you get a lot of open three looks. How often do you, as a good offensive rebounding team, have something similar to happen? Because it seems like so many teams, to me, get burned by the three and really consistently at, a, at let's just say, a right. higher percentage level with all offensive glass work and a kick out to somebody stepping into a three, which for a lot of these guys at this level can be consistent to like layups. I mean, it's just an easy right. shot. Yeah, no question. And, and that's something that you'll see people that won't double him. And you'll be like, oh, you got to double him. And they'll be like, well, they're just kind of picking their poison yes. because they don't yes. like those step in threes. They don't like, because if you're, if you're allowing a lot of three point attempts, you know, at the end of the game, like, and coaches will tell you this, you know, you make five or six threes, they could care less. But if you're going to make 12 or 13, that's going to be the difference in the game a lot of times. Like if, you know, you're you're giving up, you know, mid-30s to mid-40s on threes, like that's in a college game, that, that's tough to overcome. So they'll want to just simply take our threes out and then be as physical as they can with him. You know, you get officials that are going to call it by the letter of the law, you know, we're going to live at the free throw line then. If you get some guys that just, you know, let him – get annihilated down there it's a little bit different he's got to be able to play through that contact he's got to be able to keep scoring that basketball while he's getting fouled but um it's a it's a good dilemma right like you go back and forth and you argue about what you like 
to do. That's why, in, in our case, if you are going to double and you are going to get into rotations, it goes back to your question, is high rotation teams aren't great defensive rebounding teams because they're constantly scrambling, they're constantly rotating, and they don't have great rebound balance with it. We dive our four 80-90% of the time. And the reason why is you want the second biggest guy on the floor to be in the best rebounding position if he does get through it or a shot's there. Now you got your four and five just living at the block right there. You got a couple guys getting back. You got your point guard coming into the keyhole. And so like now you have formed that offensive triangle which you're trying to get those long rebounds and the rebounds at the rim and you're putting people in those positions. So um, not fouling is really important. And then getting fouled is really important. And I know that's a profound statement, but a lot of times people get away from that and the understanding of like, man, you like, you just keep going to this with Braden Smith and the ball screener. You just keep going with this with Zach Eady in the post. Well, when it comes down to it, if, if, it's a high efficient play for both of those guys, but it's also a high efficient play for us. Then it's a high offensive rebound percentage play for us. Even when it doesn't work for us and we score, it gives us the best chance to set our defense. So you got to look at how well are we scoring it? How well are we rebounding it? And then are we able to set our defense and keep you out of transition and then make you earn points in the half court? So it's, it's the total package right there when you look at the efficiency of offensive possessions that are important. So Matt Painter, the head coach of the Boilermakers, they get Gonzaga coming up on Monday and the Maui Invitational in Honolulu in Hawaii. Again, that's on Monday. Matt's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You mentioned uh, connectivity with your guys and trying to find that early. Uh, is it better off when you play a team, for example, like Xavier, especially one that knocks down some, some threes, one banked in that right. keeps them within striking distance? And then what you're going to see, Matt, in Hawaii, because that is as loaded a Maui Invitational that I think we have seen in a long time does that help expedite the connectivity you're looking for or or level of competition watch what are you exactly looking for you know before you get officially into the big 10 in terms of that connectivity yeah well the level of competition is always you know a a big play right there but also different styles like seeing different styles bring different issues Um, And sometimes it's not that big of an issue for you. Sometimes it is. It just depends. Are they bigger? Are they quicker? Um, What kind of, what do they run? Some people will run a lot of the same stuff. So when you see a lot of the same stuff, you're going to keep getting, getting better at it or you're not. When you're not, now you got to figure out, okay, what are we doing here? And I always talk to our players about that. If you do what we say to do and it doesn't work, I know I got to change. I know I got to change. Okay, within the game. And so like, but if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, how do I know if it works or not? Obviously, I'm not going into something with a game plan that, it's, that I haven't seen it work, especially against somebody like them. So when you get to that, that's why it's so important that you do your job. Because now when it doesn't work, you're like, man. Or it's kind of a pick-your-poison type stuff. When you get against elite people, like if you go to try to take everything away and you're just not great at it, you're going to end up taking nothing away. Like you got to figure out, okay, what can we take away and what are we going to struggle a little bit more? Because if you fight everything at times, now you fight nothing. And, and it's really, really hard. Now you'll be like, okay, you know, we played – Michigan State one year and Rafael Davis was a good defender and I put Rafael on their two guard and they thought that we were crazy by by doing that and I just thought Denzel Valentine had gotten so good 
that um, I didn't think Rayfell was going to stop him either. And I love Rayfell. He's a great defensive player. But I just was like, man, I still think he's going to get 20 here, like on him. So we put him on their two guard, and he shut him down. And then Denzel got 30, and we were luckily to be able to win. But I didn't want two people, you know, kind of going off at that time. You get in those dilemmas, not a lot. You get into – it's kind of rare. You, you get into, like, great coach, great program, great player, right? And, and so you're not always stuck there um, in, in normal scenarios. But when you play Arkansas and you play Xavier before you get to Maui, that's really important for us because elite athleticism, great coaching – you know, a hostile environment, obviously, in, in Arkansas. Those things are really going to help you when you when you go to the tournament. But you know, you still got to you still got to play better than them. You got to shoot better than them. You got to defend better than them. Um, you know, those things are going to be so important when you're playing. You know, at a neutral court versus this type of uh, caliber of talent. Yeah, they've had a lot of guys at Gonzaga, obviously, as they do every year, move up to the the NBA level. Um, what's this Gonzaga team look like this season from what you've seen so far on tape? Uh, just, you know, up-tempo, pushing the basketball, you know, good guards, um, good size. You know, they, they, they have very good depth um, on their team. They got some guys that are unproven that haven't played a lot, but, like, from watching on tape, they're good players. Um, he's not in the business of taking bad players. So if you've checked Gonzaga out here for the past 30 years, they, they've had really, really good players, and he does a fabulous job with them, and they really, really push the tempo and they're just coming at you. They're on the hunt at all times. They do good in their ball screen motion. They're looking to attack. They got bigs that can shoot threes. They got bigs that can post. They got guards that can make plays. So th- this is not going to be one of those deals where it's going to be like one guy. You know, like you look at him last year and you're like, well, Drew Timmy's so important for him. And But their guard play is good, man. Nimhard's a good player. Transfer from Creighton. Hickman um, is, is a really good guard that we faced last year. Anton Watson, um, very, very experienced, very inside-outside type guy um, that causes problems for you. But Braden Huff is a big kid, you know, from Chicagoland area um, that has really played well for him here early in the season. Um, they got the transfer, the big kid from Wyoming um, that, that can score on the interior, made a three other day in their game against Eastern Oregon. So they have good pieces, and I'm leaving out about five or six guys that can really play, but – um, yeah, it's going to be a tough matchup. So what are you looking for from your backcourt moving forward this year? Playing off, and I'm talking about obviously, you know, Braden and, and Fletcher here moving forward as sophomores. Yeah. You know, just growing uh, more than anything. Obviously, they went through a lot as, as freshmen, um, you know, being confident in themselves, looking, you know, looking to be aggressive and picking, uh, you know, the times when to be aggressive and when to move the basketball. I think versus set defense, you really we got to get better ball movement. Um, but when we have advantages, whether it's through running sets or um, getting people into closeouts or whatever, you know those guys got to be really aggressive for us. Not necessarily for themselves, but just for us. You know whether they're shooting or passing the you know the basketball. Um, but no, they're both really good players, and obviously they they got a great opportunity to be able to to play right away for us and and be able to grow. And this is what we're doing. Like you you want to be able to have young guys establish themselves and then grow through your program, um, but just get better. You know, from game to game and year to year. You know, it's interesting too. You, you mentioned how much you want to get to to the free throw line. How much do you expect Zach to get to the free throw line? And you mentioned something a little bit earlier too about it does depend on the type of whistle that you're getting. You know, if somebody's yes. going by the letter of the rule, or if somebody's a little bit loosely based on this. How often do you expect him game to game to get there, though? 
You know, I, I don't have an actual number. Obviously, we had the best free throw disparity in the country last year. We led the country in fewest fouls. He gets fouled a lot. Um, the only thing that I ask, and, and I've said this to the, you know, the, the NCAA guy who runs the whole thing. I, I say it to our, you know, guy in the Big Ten office. You know, whoever, whoever's in charge, right? Yeah. Are the rules the same for him as it is for everybody else? Because they're supposed to be right. There's no separation. Like, you know, there they, they, they just isn't. And the answer is always the same, right? And I'm like, well, I can send you a lot of clips where it looks like the, he has a different set of rules. And that's all that we ask is that he gets called the same way as everybody else does. And it, it just doesn't happen until people get really educated on, on refereeing. Where they, where they mess up most of the time is they think it's somebody's call. So, like, if he gets it into the post, he's so freaking big that he'll swallow people up. And so that guy on the baseline that sits there, he has to look through all of that, and then he doesn't blow his whistle. Your guy that's on the out, especially diagonally, not necessarily the trail, he, I don't, I don't know the, the proper word for it, so I apologize to all <laughs> officials that do. Yeah. I'm not an official. I'll get, um, I'll get 15 texts coming up here in just a second from all these officials. There you go. Got the proper He's got to be able to come in there and help him, yeah. especially if he doesn't have anything in his area. And they just don't. And he has that perfect you know, angle right there to look through there because you get a lot of – they're allowed that arm bar. You get a lot of jersey grabs. You get a lot of hooks right there. You get a lot of knees. Um, you get two hands in the back pushing. So what they'll do is some officials won't call the two hands in the back push, which is an, it's supposed to be an absolute, and it's not an absolute. So they'll just push him in the back, and then when the ball comes, their push has already happened. They anticipate it, and then they show their hands real quick. So they get him two to three feet off, which a referee that understands basketball understands if you're shooting a jump hook at six feet versus a jump hook at 10 feet, it's a big difference. But if you get guys that don't understand basketball, they'll be like, well, I'm waiting for him. I don't want to take that away from him. I'm like, well, if he's got a dunk, like I'm, I'm with you, but he's got a 10 foot post up because he pushed him two hands in the back or he need him up the lane. And so those little subtle things, well, coaches are going to watch and they're going to see like, you know, especially if they got some bigs that are expendable, we might as well do this and see if the refs will call it because it makes more sense to do that. Because if they call it by the letter of the law yeah. and they do those things, they're, they're obvious, you know, automatic fouls. And so, like, you get into that a little bit. Where I get with him is not worrying about it. Like, don't worry about it. That doesn't enter your mind. I'm expected to get fouled. I'm expected for them not to call it, and I'm going to keep playing, and I'm still going to score the basketball. What he gets is people that won't help. They won't help, and they'll stay with him. So shots go up. They stay with him. Drives come to the rim. They stay with him. That's why on our cuts and our drives, we got to be aggressive because at times there's no rim protection because people don't want to get a body off him. Hey, hey, Matt, how often do you have to, how should I put this, re-solidify your stance in terms of how Zach is officiated game to game? About three times a year. Okay. About three times a year, you got to, like, give your Jerry Maguire mission statement to the world. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. You know, because it's it's ridiculous, and, like, people will put it, like, on you like you're not fighting it. Like, you're trying to be diplomatic. Like, you can send clips, you can talk about it, you can do whatever. But if you get somebody out there that just doesn't understand how to ref post-play or to ref people like them, like, you'll get some old refs 
that of ref Shaquille O'Neal, which you're like, whoa, you know, okay, you've been doing it for a while, right? Or they've ref somebody of, of size, you know, that, that gives these type of issues with it. But, you know, there's a lot of big guys that are huge that just aren't that good at basketball players. And so they don't get into this world. They're like, well, I ref this guy and this guy. Like, well, those two guys stink. They're no good. Like, this guy's a good player. He's huge and he's a good player. And you're given a different set of rules because, you know, he's seven four three hundred, And the other guys aren't. The other guys get it quick. They get the first whistle. They get it knocked out. They call a couple quick in the game. Opposing coach doesn't like it. But they're calling obvious things that they're going to call for the other team. The other team just doesn't put them in position that way because he's, you know, they're, they're not as physical. They're not as big and they're not as good. So I'm Matt Painter, the head coach of the Boilermakers. I know you got to run to practice, and I, I got one more thing. And I, I know you've probably been asked this before. You and I haven't talked since the off season. And I, two weeks ago, I explained, for example, what what Bob Knight meant to me growing up. And I, I that was right. the first time I ever got involved in sports, watched sports, watched sports with my grandparents, and started watching that. Um, you, as a fan, and then growing into a player and somebody that not only you know played against, but also also, you know, coached against. What, what did he mean from the early stages to you? What was Bob Knight to you? It wasn't as much from the early stages. I obviously grew up an Indiana fan. And, um, you know, in 1981, when they, they beat St. Joe's to go to the Final Four when they won it all, that was in it was in Assembly yeah, Hall. I was there. Which, yeah. So, yeah. they you know, they, yeah. had, they had won the game before. Mark Aguirre and DePaul yeah. got upset by St. Joe's. And um, I was in the locker room afterwards. We had a family friend that was close with coach. And we, I'm 11 years old and just in there with Landon Turner and Ray Tolbert and Isaiah Thomas. And, you know, they were going to the Final Four. And so, like, you know, you, you grow up as a fan. But, but really, it's, I'm no different than any high school coach in Indiana or anybody that's coached that, uh, that has followed him. Like, there isn't something that's out there that's been published from a book um, to something he did with Pete Newell, to video training, to, to you name it, you name it. Him and Pete Newell put together a lot of training books um, in like the early 80s, probably mid 80s, yep. something yep. in there. And I have every single one of those. I have every single book. I have anything. If he's at a clinic, you get the tape. Like I've, I've heard him like over and over and over. I run something that I, I just kind of made up through a zone offense that's been really effective for us through the years. And it was a play that Coach Katie had ran in just the one action. But then I took everything from him um, and how he taught his zone offense. And I incorporated that. And then I added my own twist of posting our five with the same actions. So I took his rules. I took Coach Katie's one wrinkle. And then I added one thing of my own. And then through the year, it's just evolved. And it's, and it's our majority of the time not majority of the time when we're smaller it is our it is our zone offense and and so we run it and so it's just like he has that kind of an influence like in terms of how we taught the game if you wanted to hike if you wanted to hike your basketball iq he was a good person to start with um just his understanding and his ability to teach the game and talk the game um you know made us all better and then through competition he made purdue better like that's something like a lot of people don't look at because they get into the rivalry of wanting to beat somebody and that's your rival. And, you know, that's great. That's, that's good. I'm not someone who demonizes my opponent. Um, even though it's, you know, you, you get fired up to play Indiana, yeah. but there's no question 
that he made Gene Cady better, and Gene Cady made him better, and Indiana made Purdue better. There's no, there's no question about that, and uh, that growth is, is what I'm always looking for in our program and as me personally to get better. So I'm always trying to learn, and it's like testing a, uh, like an hypothesis. You believe in something, well, show me the data that supports what you're saying. Like that's what you want to be able to always do, and you always got to be able to confirm things that you be, you know, you believe in. You know, you have a strong conviction how the game is played. Well, he had an extremely strong conviction how the game was played, and so like he would pop up and say, "We're, you know, in the '80s, we're not going to ball screen," and you and you would say, "Well, why not?" Well, no one said why not. You just did it because he said so, and now the ball screen became so prevalent. You know, but he was going on a straight passing game, a straight motion game, playing without the basketball, moving without the basketball, and getting that movement and getting five people on the same page that understood angles, understood movement, understood setting up cuts, understood where they wanted to receive the basketball, and then being able to play through that, through his strengths. Like one of the things that he would do through motion offense and through passing is that he wouldn't try to be traditional all the time. He'd go to his triangle game, He'd go to like a split game where they would drive the seam a lot of times. But like when he had Isaiah Thomas or he had Damon Bailey, he would post them. Like he understood about other people's strengths, especially best player strengths. And then he would try to utilize the thing, you know, utilize those actions and and get away from some of the other things that have been so successful for him because he would have someone as good as Isaiah Thomas, who was great in the low post. And you'd think, well, that's crazy. He's six one. Well, He's a different six one. He, you know, he's made differently. He's one of the best players to ever play the game at that, you know, at that size. So he utilized that. Damon was so good, you know, in that low post and being able to maneuver, manipulate, and pass and score. So things of that nature are things that I've, I've really picked up on. And but, um, you know, anybody that has that kind of a basketball mind and that kind of a pedigree, you know, why wouldn't you want to learn from them if you if you're a coach? That's fantastic from Matt Painter right there. And we were both at that St. Joe's game. You got to go to the locker room. I think I hung out with Bruce Pearl and his uh, Eagles mascot but with Boston there Dallas. You go. I think Bruce Pearl was in the – I think it was Bruce Pearl, right, the, that was in the Eagles, the uh, Golden Eagles mascot at the time there. That was Boston College. That yeah. wasn't St. Joe's. No, no, I think Boston College was also there with UAB, I believe. Oh, were they? In that, in that were regional, they? I believe, yeah. Well, hell, I don't yeah, know. I, I, I never – I went yeah. to the game, and I know St. Joe's upset DePaul. I couldn't remember remember who off the top of my head who Indy Indiana beat before that game Maryland they beat, they beat Maryland they beat, it was Albert King beat, and Buck Williams yeah they beat Maryland yeah. bad yeah but I didn't think it was that game I thought the Maryland game was the first game and then they played somebody the second game, and that was the third game to go. I think oh, they only had to play. you might you might be right about that. I, just, I know Maryland's the first game, and, and they and and they, they beat the brakes off them guys, and they just had studs. Yeah, they did. Like you know, Buck Williams is yeah. like yeah. you know Albert King. Like those guys were studs, and then they just they, they beat them bad. Yeah, man, that's cool though. I, I never knew that you were there. Got inside the locker room too. That's cool. I I'm still floored at the fact that back then you could host a regional semifinal and final in your own building. That's incredible. No question. <laughs> yeah, no question. <laughs> hey, I, I know you got to get to practice here. Uh, safe travels to Hawaii. We'll be watching, and uh, we'll talk at you at some point when you get back. Matt, I always appreciate you. Thank cool. you. All right, man. See you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now, in fact, I think you just heard him in a promo with Quarian Company from the Big Ten Network, the former Boilermaker, Rafael Davis, joins us. So I'm counting on you being even better than the awesomeness of that promo. Are you up to the task? Are you ready? 
Oh, yeah, I got you. Nah, I appreciate that. that. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm good to go with it right now. Hey, when you look around, I know it's very small sample size of what we've seen so far with Big Ten teams. Give me a couple of things that stand out to you. Um, if I was just to name a few things, it would be the lack of athleticism. If I'm being negative, it would be um, the lack of athleticism, the lack of shooting, and then the um, – the lack of growth from a lot of the older guys within the league. I think a lot of the younger guys have made a good jump. I think you think of some of the freshmen and sophomores, like a Brandon Smith, like a Doug McDaniel, a Bruce, a Bruce from Ohio State. I think a lot of those guys, I mean, you can even see it in flashes a little bit with C.J. Gunn at, at some time. So I think that freshman group really made a jump into their sophomore season. But I think those older guys, some of them, that were expected to do a lot this season. They're struggling early, and I think for those teams, they need those older guys to play well to win. Not not at the top, I would not expect it this way, but overall, would you describe this start as maybe us getting into a bit of a down season compared to others in recent history for the conference as a whole? No, I wouldn't say that. I would just say um, this is a year where I came into it thinking that one, the Big Ten will have to grow throughout the year because a few teams are dependent on young guys, and when you're, it's tough. Like I tell, I've been telling guys that I haven't seen a young guy come into the league. I mean, well, since I played in it, coming to the league and really affect winning. Maybe since, um, I mean, the Baby Boilers. I mean, they had three of them. They came in, they affected winning right away. And then you think about like a DeAndre Russell individually in Ohio State. He came in and he affected winning right away, but. It's tough. Even a great point guard like Cassius Winston, I think played 18, 20 minutes a game as a freshman. So, I mean, sometimes it takes time to grow into the role. And the Big Ten, Ohio State is dependent on freshmen. I mean, Indiana is dependent on freshmen. Michigan State is dependent on freshmen. So, those teams that are dependent on those guys is going to take time. Even the Maryland. A Maryland is dependent on Jamie Kaiser and Deshaun Harris-Smith. The Rutgers is dependent on Gavin Griffith. So, I think with those teams, it's just going to take time. But this was a year where I thought that the Big Ten would have a few teams competing for one, two, and three seeds. I can, I can see Purdue, Michigan State, Illinois competing for one, two, threes. And then maybe you get a couple teams with some lower seeds. But I didn't see this year as being a team where you're going to get a year where you're going to get 10 teams there. So, Rafael Davis of the Big Ten Network, the former Boiler, I want to talk about your, your former team in just a second, but you, you ran past a little bit of IU, and I, my, my take was this, and maybe it's inaccurate. I had somebody that's an IU fan basically suggest that I was being too hard on the way that they looked, for example, on Sunday against Army because it's still very early in the season and you've got so many new faces there. Uh, my retort was, yeah, but you should never really look like that at home against that team, no matter what. Right. Was that a fair assessment? I mean, yeah, Army came into the came into came into that game as a team that didn't score the ball much. I mean, they lost, had already been pounded once. I mean, and I like coach. I like coach at Army. And they have they have, they have have guys that were coming back home to Indiana, so that's always a, a added punch, and it's always an added motivation. Those guys are always going to play hard. But I think with Indiana, I guess the uh, some, of their, some of their mistakes from their older guys, I guess, aren't acceptable. I mean, Trey Galloway and uh, Gregory Johnson, they got to know what's going on at all times. I mean, McKenzie and Baco is getting lost on defense, and there's not there's not a guy that's pulling him to the side and putting him where, putting him where he needs to be. 
And I think at times you need that. But for Indiana, I think um, I just think it's a struggle offensively because they have um, they only have, they're playing with really one primary ball handler. And you think about Xavier Johnson, the ball's in his hand, and I think that's why they've been finishing the game with Gabe Cups because he's a guy that can handle the basketball. He's a guy that's used to making plays, and Indiana can't. And that was this guy. I was a play hard guy. I was a defensive player of the year, whatever, but. You're not, you're not going to get a different Trey Galloway. Trey Galloway is who he is. He's played hard. He defends. He can make a shot. He's going to get to his floater. But you can't expect him to be this offensive jerk. They may need him to be. And even uh, Xavier Johnson, he is who he is as a player. So I think for Indiana to reach those heights, Mackenzie Abaco just has to grow in his role. He has to grow. He has to learn how to play on the wing. He isn't a guy that in high school, he was handling the bunch. He was being set up, lobs, open shots, high school level competition. And now, with football, you know, fans don't think about it's not, it's not you don't come to college and it's not just about learning the plays or learning the sets or learning the defensive schemes. Some of these guys, every single possession, to get there, especially freshmen who do play through the athleticism, through shot making defensive schemes down, the defense looks better, and then when they start using their defense, I think Indiana has to run more so they don't get bogged down in the half court. But in the half court, Malik Renew and David Johnson, they got to get people where they need to be in order to make certain plays. It's uh, Rafael Davis of the Big Ten Network with us. One final question regarding IU. Mike Woodson had mentioned after the win over Army on Sunday that you know, he wants to get out and run. He doesn't want to play this much in, in the half court. Are, are they capable right. further down the road of doing that? Because it, And maybe it's because of what we've seen so far does not look conducive, Rafael, to that whatsoever. Do they have that in that, on that roster to be able to do that more? Run the, what, run the oh, basketball yeah, they, they offensively? Have. Yeah, they have to run. I mean, that's their that's going to be their mo is to get stops. But in order to run, you got to get stops. You got to rebound the basketball at a high level defensively. You can't allow offensive rebounds. You can't turn the ball over. You got to be able to get the ball and go. And then also, at times, you got to have more than one ball handler in the game. And you see with Indy, you see with the nowadays. I think I mean it's because they have two ball handlers. That Giddy gets a rebound. Yeah. For Moons, if he's close, he looks for Braden Smith. If he's close, go. You just have one primary guy. The he he's expecting that ball every time, so the, everybody knows it's going to him. You know what I mean? You can set your defense, you can set it around him. If he doesn't get the ball, he's not used to just running without it. So I think um, the more stops they get, the better they will run. I think it starts there. I think Khalil Ware is an elite elite rim protector. And I think um, they've just got to find a way to get him going in the open court. But I think that's where you get a freshman to kind of learn a little bit more, figure it out. I mean, is going to be really good in the open floor and transition. And I think that's where he can grow. But I, I do, um, through all of this, through the negative, through the this type of play, we, you have learned that Gabe Cups is not a chump. Gabe Cups is tough. He's, he can make a shot. He, he'll take a shot. He is 10. In early games, you kind of find those guys. I think Gabe Cups really earned his keep again in these last few games. He is Rafael Davis with us, the former Boilermaker from the Big Ten Network on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So we saw when Purdue beat Xavier on Monday night. Xavier stayed 
closer or within, I guess, subjective type of striking distance by knocking down a couple of deep threes. One was was banked in there, but otherwise it was Purdue kind of moving away. Do you like the way the early season schedule sets up? Because this Maui Invitational is absolutely loaded. Xavier's no joke, whom they played on Monday night. Do you like the way to help get this team connected early? They're playing tougher competition back to back to back as they're going to be doing here? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what you want as a player. I mean, as a coach, as a program, you want to go out and play good basketball games. I think you learn more about your team against better competition compared to when uh, we may beat a team by 25, 30 points and come in the next day and not even watch the film. So, I mean, I think even if you are in a close game like you were with Xavier, you pull away, you still can learn learn a lot from that film. So, and then for college players, that's what you come to, that's what you come to college for. That's what you go to Purdue for to play high level competition night in, night out, playing high level arenas, playing these events. Because I could, I still remember going to Maui. I go, I remember going to Maui, playing against Coach Weber, losing to Kansas State, and then beating Missouri, beating BYU on the buzzer beater, and those are some of the memories that stick with you. So I think. Um, it's great. I think Purdue's been playing great. I think the addition of Lance Jones has, has, has done a couple things. It's, um, it's taking the pressure offensively off of uh, Fletcher Lawyer to where now Fletcher Lawyer last season was schemed against a lot. He was given the best wing defender each game towards like later in the season. And you had your best wing defender guarding Fletcher Lawyer. And this season, your best wing defender will guard Lance Jones. And I think that's going to free up Fletcher a bunch. He didn't shoot it that well against Xavier, but He'll make open shots. And then I think with Lance Jones also, it gives Purdue a guy that can just go get one. Go get us a bucket. Put the ball in his hand. Make a playoff or dribble, whether it's for himself or whether it's for somebody else. Just someone that you have to defend. You're not leaving Lance Jones open. He's made over 1,500 points. He's made over 200 threes. You've got to respect him. And this season, I assume he shoots it better because he'll have a better – I mean, have more open looks. And then even – Offensively, the ball is just not in Braden Smith's hand every time. I just said they can get he can get the ball and run. He can break a press. Although he's not maybe the best offensive initiator, he can handle the press. He knows what's going on. So now you have two ball handlers there. And then defensively, now he guards the best wing. He's athletic. He can guard a one to the three. I mean, even with the Braden Smith or Fletcher Lawyer, now they don't have to guard those quick, small guards that they have trouble with. Now Lance can take them. So I think Lance has done a great job. I think Cam Heidi and Miles Colvin, I think they've added that athleticism to this team. I mean, you think about that lob, Lance Jones through to Cam Heidi. We haven't seen much of that from Purdue's wings over the last, I mean, for a long time. I mean, so now they're running and gunning. They're at the wing. And sometimes Purdue was so zaggy post up or kick out three. Now they have cutters off of a post-up. And then Braden Smith being ultra aggressive off of the ball screen has, uh, has been really impressive. When he's aggressive and they're not just playing through Zach, it makes them a better team. So uh, Rayfeld Davis of the Big Ten Network. Next time you're in studio is when? Uh, tomorrow night. I'll be in the studio tomorrow night, and then uh, we get going again. Well done. All right, man. We'll stay in contact over the course of this season because we're just getting started. I appreciate you dropping in here in Indy this afternoon. Oh, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. And just um, FYI, if um, you have any listeners, uh, my nonprofit foundation, and we're raising money to send the Indianapolis City Coats to Nationals. We go to Nationals. Um, it's our, our football team for our nonprofit, 10 years old. Uh, 30 boys. We're traveling to Nationals next month. And uh, 
If you'd like to learn more or donate, go to RayfeldDavisBasketball.com. RayfeldDavisBasketball.com is where people need to go. Yes, sir. You got it. Appreciate you, Rayfeld. I appreciate it. Thank you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline for the morning show, the morning wake-up call with KB and Andy, the KB portion of it is Kevin Bowen with us. All right, Shibway, Brown, or Stevenson? What's your call there? Filling that gap on the roster. My call, or are you putting that a poll on Twitter? Because I know where the poll on Twitter is. Oh, can you imagine? To Pluto with that that thing, man. Seriously. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Kendall Brown would get a vote outside of his family (laughs) if you put that on Twitter. Uh, Boy, I I guess if you're going to give me those three, I would say Shibway. What about, like, are you going to go veteran pass? No, you're thinking about, like, T.J. Warren or T.J. Warren, somebody like that. I mean, just an example. I'm not suggesting they have any interest, but that's, you know, the type of name that you're thinking about, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, again, I don't know what you're – are you looking for – a fourth center. I mean, I guess if Jalen Smith's going to be out for a little bit of time. I would have done that uh, anyway, Kev. I mean, would you not? I, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I just thought much like we've seen with T.J. McConnell, there were going to be times this season where where Tice was going to be important to this team. And, I mean, hell, we saw it last night. I think we've seen it twice so far this year, and we're barely a month deep. So that is a bit of a concern to me. Yeah, it's funny. When that happened last night, I'm like, could this be worse timing? <laughs> it's like you play Philly, what, yeah. three times out of the whole season, and here it is, one of those games, and you certainly wouldn't – I think you would have turned to Tice last night. I mean, yeah, you certainly would have. Um, and obviously, you know, his you know whatever career here in Indiana is over. So, But then part of me is like, do you need a fourth center in today's NBA? You know, outside of Philadelphia, I mean, most nights you could get by with – you know, whatever, Aaron Neesmith before or, you know, going smaller with that. So I think a lot of it just kind of depends on what you want. You know, do you want that roster spot to be, you know, kind of like I said a few minutes ago, I mean, do you want it to be a George Hill, James Johnson? Like, do you view it in that light? Uh, you know, outside of McConnell, uh, and obviously he still plays meaningful minutes for you. I don't know if you have somebody there. Um, so I, I'll be curious to see what they do. I, I don't think it's just a, you know, Shibway given yeah. or something along those lines there. Um, I, I'd probably wait and see what's up with Jalen Smith for now. And then, you know, I, I also, I don't know if you're in a huge rush either. Um, I, I don't think it's something that you want to guarantee it for the rest of the year. You know, play out. Obviously, you get in some injury situations. You know, that could influence some things. And, you know, who knows what will happen when the trade deadline rolls around. Yeah, I, I – does it change their mind or does it factor in that they did go small ball last night and actually got some usage out of that? Would that change their mind? Because if it's me, I, I would want the advantage of having another big around, you know, just in, in case another big. And that's, again, why I like Daniel Tice. I just know that he didn't like that situation, and clearly the Pacers were doing him a solid, uh, buying him out in the fashion in which they did. But do we see last night going small, maybe um, a presence in which they, they want to do in the future that would keep them from going with that fourth big? Or was that just kind of a moment in time on a Tuesday night in Philadelphia? Well, I, I think it was a moment in time in the sense of no one's like Embiid. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of the Eastern Conference, like who you would even. Well, we've seen it twice you know. already in a month, though. We saw that situation twice, and you know, in, in in terms of Milwaukee, Kev, you know, we, we saw Rick double 
And I thought we saw moments in that Milwaukee game why we don't see them double very often because they weren't good at it, especially early on. But you you were felt compelled you had to be in that situation. I I don't know. It's it. I, you know, it's interesting that this is a major deal for us to talk about, but it doesn't in the grand scheme of things, Kev, seem like a major deal. Yeah, I guess that's kind of where I'm at of like, you know, it'd be one thing if whatever in this day and age in the NBA, like all of these teams had some, but even more of a traditional big. I mean, you know, if you faced Miami in round one, for example, yeah, I mean, Bam is is, is a really good player, but again, he's not seven foot and 280 and or north of seven foot and someone that you really want, you know, to have a banger against. I mean, you could survive probably by going a little bit smaller. So, I, I don't know, you know, with, you know, I guess Turner's had a little bit of injury history, not as much recently. Um, you know, I, I, maybe that would factor into it, but I think we all have agreed. It's just kind of a log jam at center. Obviously Tice wasn't too pleased about it. So I, I probably view it in more of a no need to rush into anything right now, have the flexibility, see how your health plays out over the next couple months and see what happens when the trade deadline rolls around. Cause I mean, maybe when the trade deadline rolls around, maybe that's where you want to do a two for one or you want to do a three for two or you know something like that to where, you know, the fact that you're able to absorb something on your roster could be, you know, really helpful for you. Normally, Kev, too, when you get all this discussion about a team and its depth, that you're going to get somebody unhappy. And we have seen somebody already unhappy and now somebody is gone. Is there anybody else you think within this roster right now that may get a little bit unhappy with the amount of clock that they receive? You know, they panned to the bench last night, and for the first time in about a week, I said to myself, oh, I forgot Jordan Wara played for the Pacers. I'm like, yeah, he is on this basketball team. I, I, to me, he can be helpful. I think he can be helpful on a good team. I mean, hell, he was playing some sort of a role for the Bucks even before he came here. So, um, again, he would be one that pops into my, uh, into my mind. I also say this, John, I mean, the Pacers, I think health-wise, they've been incredibly healthy through the first 10 games. Uh, you know, you, well, you don't bring that up, man. You know what happens when you bring that crap up. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, boy. Knock on I, some I, wood or something around there. Look whose show you're on right here. I mean, the yeah, karma is just ready to kick you right square in the groin. Don't do it. Fortunately, not a lot of wood around here. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure there's not. <laughs> if you look at, you know, Cleveland, whenever that was, first week of the season, they were really yeah. banged up. I mean, even Philly's missing a couple guys last night. So, um, again, I, I think there's going to come a point in time where you're going to need to rely. And, and last night, I mean, certainly it was one of those nights where you needed to rely on a little bit more of that depth um, throughout the game. So, um, Wara is the one that would probably stand out to me. I, I still think TJ McConnell is going to have those once every couple of games where he's still going to play. Uh, a meaningful role for you. Yeah. So he's the one of established in the league, like Jairus Walker, Ben Shepard, you know, some of those guys, you know, they're not established enough to obviously dictate some of that. Where's uh, Tyrese Halliburton right now in the hierarchy of individual NBA talents? I would say he's unquestionably one of the most valuable players in the NBA. Uh, especially if you look at the acronym and actually, you know, I guess define it as most valuable player. I, I don't, you know, Andy and I did this exercise earlier today. I mean, how far down the list do you get before you would label more valuable guys to their teams? I mean, certainly Luca and Giannis and probably Embiid and, and maybe Jokic. 
Um, Tatum. But, yeah, but again, if you just went off straight off the acronym, like most valuable player, could Boston survive to a degree with Drew Holiday, Jalen Brown, Porzingis, Derek White, et cetera? Yeah. The Pacers couldn't survive at all without. No, Zion there's no, there's no I mean, doubt. There's be, no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be a 30 win team. It, it, you know, something along those lines there. So, I mean, just look at last season. You know, they weren't losing games without him. They're getting blown off the floor without him. So, um, I know that's kind of a debate that you have of, okay, is most valuable player the best player or is it the acronym? Well, if it's the acronym, there's no way you can name me six, maybe seven guys more valuable to their team in the entire NBA. Um, and I also think he is, you know, a, a certainly a top, whatever, 20 guy in the league if you're just going to label it best player. Because that's where I think, you know, you get into a Tatum and a Brown that obviously are on the same team. But Boston were to lose one of them, maybe the value isn't as immense as it is some other guys. But it, it's it's insane what, what he does. It's insane what he does as a passer, as a scorer. Um, the lack of, like – there's not a lot of guys that take that pressure off him. So he is like number one, two, and three, I would assume on a scouting report every night for an opposing team. And yet he still puts up these, I mean, rather video game like numbers of, you know, it's not, I feel like there, there's been guys in the NBA, John, that have had high assist numbers, but they're very careful with it. You know, they're not like, you know, they're not really trying to squeeze that pass here or there. They're not throwing a lot of lobs and, you know, not a lot of guesswork with Halliburton. It, I mean, he threw one last night to Obi Toppin. I mean, Gardner Minshew wished he could throw it that far right now. I mean, it, it's it's impressive just how he sees the play ahead of everybody else on the floor. Um, I mean, Toppin, honestly, is, is the perfect just little sidekick for him with throwing those passes and, and seeing that stuff and, and putting guys into positions of strength and things like that. Uh, he is an absolute joy to watch. And, again, whether he's distributing it or doing it on his own from a scoring standpoint, um, he ranks right up there with anybody in the, in the NBA. You know, the Pacers, I thought, have accomplished a lot of things last night. And, and at least, to me, it was bigger than just a you know, November Tuesday night in Philadelphia with the win because you, you saw – once again, Halliburton elevate his game in front of a lot of eyeballs, those that didn't care about the chokehold of, of Draymond Green against Rudy Gobert and the Timberwolves. But a lot of eyeballs saw that last night, which is good. Everybody was talking about it last night. Um, you, you saw the Pacers just getting over in general. Um, you saw Miles, who looked like just your average matchup with Embiid once again in the fourth that stepped up big. I thought Halliburton had a great deal to do with that, still making sure he got the basketball and having his back on that. And then you saw it eight against five because they were getting hosed and getting hosed big time. And they overcame all of that last night. I mean, all of it in a fashion in which we had seen, even with good teams, Kev, in the past around here, that would have wilted. And this team didn't last night. So that's, to me, more impressive than just the win in general itself on a Tuesday night in Philly. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to put it. And I uh, I feel like they handled all the chaos, all the BS. And, and so much of it was thrown at them um, and on the road. And, 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 you know, to me, I felt, I felt like they kind of entered the game, you know, having a little bit of a different psyche as well. Uh, like a couple things stood out to me early on of, you know, Carlisle took Halliburton out like midway through the first, I want to say, and it started to kind of slip a little bit. Philly had gotten on a run and he put him right back in the game. 
and you know that's not typical like NBA rotation yeah. for how coaches handle it. Frank Vogel would not like, have done that, is what you're saying? Yes. Right. Yeah, I kind of add like a yeah. little bit of a playoff feel of like, no, 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 no. You go right back in there. You don't, you know, whatever. Put the heating pad on your legs for the next six minutes like you normally would. And then at halftime, you know, JJ and and Obi Toppin there in that interview. I, I mean, Toppin was like, we've got to win this game. I mean, it was like, it looked like he wanted to bite JJ's head off, just how, you know, kind of intense he was. And again, this is a guy in Obi Toppin that, I mean, he could look at this as a very individual year. It it hasn't worked out the next, uh, he hasn't had a great start to the season individually, or maybe a super consistent start is probably the better way to put it. It's a contract year. Um, he's, he hasn't, you know, dealt with all of the whatever losing or the lack of playoffs that the Pacers have had over the last handful of seasons. And yet he certainly has or clearly looked to me like a guy very, very much bought in and said, no, 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 this one means more on a Tuesday night. You don't get many chances against, you know, Philly at full strength, you know, again, in their building. Um, clearly the, I think the end season tournament, I know some people disagree with this. I think it really matters to the team. Uh, and, and you could, you know, sit here and act like Tyrese Halliburton shouldn't care as because much. Because they haven't won anything is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two Halliburton. Yes. He makes it clear every time he yeah. talks, he's like, I haven't won anything. <laughs> he like, he openly brings it up, but he also brings up, I want to be on national television. And, and again, you know, people could say, Oh, you should have other motives than that. Okay. Whatever. It motivates Tyrese Halliburton. He knows exactly how many TNT games he's been on in his career. And that pisses him off. And I think these guys know, and Halliburton probably being the leader of it, they know if they win their group, which if they beat Atlanta on Tuesday night, they will win their group, they'll be on TNT or they will have a nationally televised game, at least one, in that knockout round. So um, it, it just it, it strikes me as last night met more than just your average mid-November game. I honestly think it'll be one of the few games this year, John, when we get to March and April, no matter what happens with this season, We'll look back and say, "Remember that completely know, agree." Yes, um, and, and and that is something that I think is critical for a team that just isn't used to winning or being in those environments. Period. Well, and you got a fan base that's not too used to it either. I mean, really, on on either side comes to football or basketball in this case. So you, you stop thinking about you know what they're going to do in the off season and what they're going to do in April or what they're going to do in June in the draft or what they're going to do in July during the free agency window, and you start thinking about now and what. You you have and you know i said that before the start of the season you know when i talked to rick carlisle before the season last year he said hey yeah you don't get mad this team is not going to look good on some nights but we're moving in the right direction yeah this year's completely different from that now you have expectations and i don't mind to see along kev with the growth of this team the expectations grow as well i think that can be to me so much more a lot of people think you grow through you know the nobility of losing and that's not me I want to see them win and grow because this team clearly has that capability. Yeah, and I also think they're in kind of a nice little spot here in terms of the rebuild and the win and the winning kind of blending into it. But at the same time, it's not like they're all chips in in the middle of the table. So, like, they could they could do a lot of different things when the trade deadline rolls around. I think that's honestly kind of why this Daniel Tice move, you know, part of why it, it, it happened. In a way, it almost seemed to me like the Pacers – they got 10 games into the season. They realized Jalen Smith looks more than competent as the backup five. 
Isaiah Jackson, he, I, thought, I thought Jackson was <laughs> was pretty good. No, he's, yeah, he has been, yes, no doubt. When he got in the game, it's like, okay, we can make do, uh, but let's open up some cap space. Let's open up a roster spot. So when that trade deadline rolls around, again, if you, you know, who knows come February. Right now, it looks very much like a, you know, and again, this is a horrible memory to bring up for Pacers fans, but if you want to make the Andrew Bynum, Evan Turner move, you could do that. And so I think that's a position that was just an unknown at the start of the year. You were hoping to be in that position, but there's obviously a chance that you're not. Well, the early returns are saying you could be in that spot. And, of course, we'll see how you know the rest of the year plays out. But, yeah, I think um, I, I would have said this to you, John, I think a month ago, but especially on the first two weeks of the season, I think the expectation should certainly be to be out of the plan. You know, I, I kind of said in the five and six range, and, and I think you can be super competitive in round one. So Kevin Bowen, the morning shows, the morning wake-up call with KB and Andy. And the bros from the morning show are going to be going to see Adam Sandler later on tonight. Thanks to the uh, generosity of one, Eddie White. You two bros are going to hang out tonight? We are. Are you making... I am not. Parents over there? I am not. Uh, and it's not because of... <laughs> probably saw... Well, I don't know if you saw that last night or not. Yeah, I. it's not because of that. I, I got to coach up some girls. I told Eddie that. I, I don't have a problem with Eddie right now. Now, there's somebody else over there I have a serious problem with, but it, it is not Eddie. Um, I just couldn't make it tonight because I had to coach up, uh, coach up my daughter and the girls, but... Uh, yeah, no, Got you guys it. will have a good well, time. Yeah, you don't. Have, There's some other jackassery that I'm going to get yeah. after here pretty damn quick. But uh, other than that, I'm all good. So that was yeah, nice of Eddie to invite us that. all. I do remember your your text. I was part of that group last <laughs> night when I when I, when I saw your text. I, I, I it did make me laugh a little. I did not get a response from that text, so I'm <laughs> I'm shocked by that. <laughs> did not get a response. No, I, 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 I'm I, sorry, I Kev. The truth serum to the uh, yeah. Person. I just, you know what? Get that out there, get that out there, and man, cultivate that right now. You know, get some of those personalities out there more. I mean, do it, and stop jacking around. And you know, we end up talking about it. I mean, they're, they're the first people to call when you don't talk about them. And then you know, you have just a, a great win. Like, get get that out there. Let everybody hear from these dudes, man. These dudes sound great on the air. I just don't understand that mentality, and I'm going to tell you this, and it's going to piss everybody down there off, but the Colts would never do that. Never. So they are always on call, always respond. You would not get ghosted for five months. So there's no way, no how. So, yeah. That's where I am. I'll probably go down the path of thank you to Eddie White for the invite and looking forward to <laughs> No, you should, because he has zero to do with that. He has nothing to do with that. It's not on him. So, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I saw, if I'm not mistaken, the Caliburn's on either J.J. Reddick's podcast. He either was yeah. on earlier this week or will be on it at some point. So, well, good. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, that's good. I'm glad he does. But I, I'm sorry. J.J. Reddick's not speaking to the Pacer fans here. No, I'm sorry. And it's I mean, I'm sorry. That, it's, it's like when they have Rick on with you guys, that's savvy. That's smart. Yeah. But you can't leave it at that and just wash your hands and say we're done. That's not yeah. smart. Especially when – you know, from a daily routine yeah. standpoint, 
J.J. Redick was not calling the Pacers, you know, the past couple of yeah, years. Yeah, so. exactly. And no, and nobody cares. I mean, nobody around here cares. I mean, nobody. you want to make yeah. sure you fill that building up. And then, again, you want to get these personalities out there. There are a lot of good personalities on this team. I don't know how many of these guys we've actually heard from. Yeah, I um, – I mean, listen, I love- they did the, – the Obi Toppin came in the summer. Bruce Brown came in the summer. I don't think either one of those dudes have been on here. I mean, that's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, I mean- I mean, honestly, that's why I look forward to some of JJ stuff. Not only, just, uh, honestly, the assistant coaches at halftime, I, I, I also enjoy, but I, I like want them to get a lead at half, and then want them to win just so I can, you know, hear from from these guys. And you know, in the, in the press conference settings, you can only get so much. But you know, I, to me, um, you know, whether it's how they play the game, I think we all really enjoy. But yeah, yes. I do think personality-wise, um, there's a lot to like, and, and not just it's not just Halliburton. Um, I think there's a lot there with how these guys are wired. Yeah, it's too bad, and we love basketball. Love it. I mean, I, for one, right. love basketball. And and last night was so enjoyable for me that, you know, any night when, when Miles gets to shut everybody up is really a good night for me. But I just, man, that's that's the type of stuff. You, you need to act on it. Don't let that be fleeting and kind of disappear in the wind is, is what I'm thinking about it. But uh, they they got you guys covered. What they do with Rick on Tuesday is is savvy and smart. But what they do with the rest of it isn't. So that's just kind of where I am there. Yeah, and again, I, I think you feel this way, but I just appreciate. Like, I, I find myself with with Rick just wanting to listen. He sounds great, Kevin. <laughs> he sounds even, great. He does. Yeah, mm. like not even wanting to. I, I try myself on think, okay, what did Andy just ask? What do I want to ask? That? No, I'm like, just I just want to listen. It's one of the few interviews. I don't know if I should say this, but it, it's one of the few, John, that we have on and then i i go back and listen to it later in the day yeah just yes. it, it's one that and honestly you had one of those today with matt that's matt's the same I, way yeah right i feel the exact same way you just you don't get just bs coach speak and you get you know guys that open up on a variety of topics and um and, and you know what credit to rick for how he's handled this i mean this is this was quite the undertaking and he's had a lot to prove himself and i think he's had to kind of be a little bit open-minded with how the NBA game has changed since his start in the league, you know, a couple of decades ago. And uh, yeah, I think he's done a great job of that. And, and honestly, just kind of let, you know, Tyrese quarterback all of it and realize, hey, if I, if I get my hands too much on that, I'm going to screw up a pretty good thing. <laughs> I, I tell you what, it, it probably would be good for IU to maybe unleash Woodson back up in here at some time too. You know what I mean? Just to hear from we him. Have, uh, I don't think yeah, we've heard from him since the day he got hired. And that's, yeah, that's the last time. we out routinely on that. I believe we were told, not a big radio interview guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? He's been on with me before when he's been, uh, I think he was, he may have been the head coach at the time of the Knicks, but maybe he was an assistant somewhere. He was awesome. Absolutely awesome. And that's what I, I'm talking about, man. You want to, you know, you want to see some other sides and that's what you guys get with Rick. I mean, you get other sides of stuff. Here's what I think is great. Um, and I'm, I'm here to tout your show, obviously. Um, but when I listen to him in the mornings with you guys, what I think is amazing and I love is when he starts talking about other things going on in this city. You know, he starts talking about Gardner Minshew or the Colts and stuff. I don't think anybody completely understands how important that is and how people love to hear that. The investment that somebody at that level has in this city, in this community, I mean, it is so important, and it sounds so good. I'm telling you, that's savvy. The rest of it isn't, but it sounds good every Tuesday. I mean, you guys are incredibly fortunate. 
Yeah, we are. And, and yeah, he went on about Shane Steichen. Mm. The first time we had him on, yes. he sat down with Shane for like five or ten minutes, and I'm like, wait a minute, should I keep on asking Shane Steichen questions? I kind of well, want And then Shane needs to take some pointers. Face. He needs to give Shane some well, pointers on how to be. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think there's a better chance I run a four three forty in the next couple of years than that happens. Man, but. he's he's going to have to change a little bit, man. I mean, he's going to have to be a little bit more in depth at some point, or hey. or win win to a level where nobody cares. But unless you yeah. win at that level, unless you win at that level, you're going to have to have just a shred more personality at some point. I mean, even if it's yeah. the arms crossed, I don't want to be, I'd rather be in the dentist chair for a root canal than talk to you, JMV, Chris Ballard type of thing. So even if it's that. <laughs> say better, I say better chance I'm in the Pacers power pack than, uh, than, <laughs> than Shane goes. I'd goes love to see that. Path. I'd love to see that. You in the power pack. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's Sweebo drinking tonight? Do we know? That's a great beat. I think he strikes me, or he at least has, you know, made it seem like he's he's going to go go with the heavy stuff. Uh, mm. So yeah, yeah, I think we could be getting some dark liquor out of him. It could be a little bit of a draw. <laughs> the brown, the brown water with Sweebo, man. You guys, yeah. you guys have to Uber him home. And, and I believe the missus is going to be there as well. Nice. So, I mean, think about that. Think back to the first kid and the first time you went out after, uh, you know. I mean, I, I believe this is their first night out since. Uh, since uh, little little gas was born, so sometimes the tolerance could uh, could take a turn on you. So we'll see how things are at seven a.m. in the morning. I was trying to think. I don't think my wife and I have been out together since nineteen ninety five, and I think that was a group date <laughs> at McCree's Deli. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I was six years old. Yeah, I was. I was always a big fan of the group date. I didn't want to go out like uh, man and woman on this. I wanted to have like two and three dudes and two and three chicks out. I was a group date guy. Yeah. Well, tonight that's us. It's yes. going to be the morning. It's going to be the morning show group date at Adam Sandler. So it's my first time seeing Sandler. It's really my first time for a you know kind of a big comedy show like that. So. Yeah. I am looking forward to it. You will have an absolute blast. And, uh, yeah, thank Eddie White for the the invitation. And uh, tell some stories tomorrow morning, man. Will do. Good luck on the sidelines. And uh, have a great rest of the week, John. You got uh, Thad on tomorrow? Yes, thank you for that. Yeah, we got Thad Mata on tomorrow. Big one for Butler on Friday. You see – did you see Aaron Kraft is currently living with Thad Mata? Did you see that? <laughs> I love that. I yeah, love it. The whole Ohio State team. Diebler's on the sideline. Mata's there. Right. So, yeah. So Yeah, uh, Aaron Kraft going through med school here in Indy. So, uh, we'll chat with Thad about a variety of things tomorrow. You got it, my brother. I appreciate you. Tell uh, Sweebo I said hello. Have a great time tonight. Will do. Hope everything's good with your mom, John. Yeah, thank you, man. Kevin Bowen right there. The morning show is the morning wake-up call with KB and Andy. 7 until 10 a.m. tomorrow morning.